0: Find my place real quick. So there was a single woman who died, and every one of her pallbearers at her funeral was a woman. And one inquisitive person who could not resist asking pulled one of the relatives aside and said, Why are there only women pallbearers? And the relative replied, She wrote in her will. I want all women pallbearers. They wouldn't take me out when I was alive, then they aren't going to take me out when I'm dead. <laughs> it's kind of an, an interesting joke, but uh, today I'm preaching on a topic that, that is a difficult one, I believe, and, and the topic is singleness. Um, in the church today, we don't talk about this topic much because there's kind of a lot of, uh, I think a lot of sadness, a lot of a lot of messiness around the topic. Um, it's, it's something that, as pastors, a lot of times, uh, especially being married, we feel disqualified to, to talk about on some some level, and, and I don't want to ever uh, it, make light of, it, of any, any, anybody's challenges or, or difficulties, and so um, today, as we get started, I just want to acknowledge that this is a, a sensitive topic, and my, my hope is that um, the Lord would come and he would use this time to really um, alleviate stress, not add to it, that he would come and speak to, to all of us uh, as he has each week. Um, just because this, this sermon is focused on the topic of singleness doesn't mean that it's not for all of us because what I believe is that uh, the Lord wants to, to speak to each one of our hearts because in the end we are all human we are all in need of, of His grace and His mercy, and I believe that today He desires to give us just that. And so, um, I, I just invite you to, to with me, let's, let's come to the text expectantly excited about what God has for us today. And, and really, one of the things I, I hope is that uh, we, will, we will be able to, to walk away from, from this discussion Knowing uh, what what some of the unique challenges, some of some of those here in our own body and some of our friends um, who may not be a part of Skillman, but uh, some unique challenges that maybe they have in, in a certain time in life and one, one where we can understand better, love one another better, and encourage one another. Because I think what happens a lot of times, unfortunately, is that um, we add to people's, troubles uh, and we add to people's difficulties and I, I hope that today maybe this sermon would help us to not do that, but to carry one another's difficulties and take away from the, from the, from the struggle that we have. And so that's kind of where we're, where we're going today. but when it comes to, to singleness in marriage, this, this whole topic, I think that people often make one of two mistakes. On the one hand, traditionally most societies, have idolized marriage believing that family and bearing children are the supremely important thing in life. And today, I think people idolize marriage in kind of slightly a different way by thinking that finding a spouse would solve all of their problems, that it will meet all of their deepest needs. On the flip side, I think that, uh, that others make another mistake. And what they do is that rather than idolize marriage, they idolize singleness, and it's kind of, I think it, what, what, what causes that is there are these values that, that really are, are really popular today in, in, in our culture of personal fulfillment, finding pleasure for yourself, and also uh, independence and freedom. We want these things, and so sometimes singleness is idolized because it, 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 it keeps those values intact. What I want to encourage us to to understand is that either approach, idolizing marriage or idolizing singleness, in the end is broken and it doesn't work. Because what happens when you idolize marriage or singleness, you're placing your hope, your joy, your satisfaction in another person who is broken and incapable of meeting your deepest needs. Whether that's in marriage, that's another person and and you're looking to this this created being who does not have the strength to meet your deepest needs. Or if you're idolizing singleness, you're looking to yourself to take care of all of your own needs. And and what you find in life very quickly is that either path does not work. We are incapable of meeting our own deepest needs and other people were not made to meet our, our deepest needs. But thankfully, as we know, here in the Scripture, we see time and time again that there is another way. There is a way to have our deepest needs met. It's just not through ourselves, and it's not through another person. This morning, we're going to be talking about how we can be satisfied in spite of singleness, if that's your, your, your current place in life or another way to look at it for the rest for for all of us really is how can we find contentment regardless of our marital status because let's be honest there are plenty of us in this room who are married who would if if you're if you're really honest there are seasons where you are not content at all in your marriage and as a person and so regardless of whether we're single or married god has Provided a way for us to have our deepest needs met. He's provided a way for us to be content, to be satisfied. And really, it has nothing to do with marriage at all. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today as we look at 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 35. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there, 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 35. If you need one, there's a blue one there in the back of the the pew in front of you. And as we look at this text today, I believe we're going to see how we can be content, regardless of our marital status. Regardless of where we fall on that spectrum, how can we be content? Before we read this, I want to pray together, and then we'll stand as we read the word. So let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We meet here, we gather here to worship you, to honor you because you are worthy of everything that we are and everything that we have. And Lord, we come to this time in our our service where we look at your word because we realize that you have the words of life, that you are the author and creator of life. You know how life works better than we do. And so we come to your scripture, we come to your word, seeking wisdom because we desperately need it. On our own, we constantly make a mess of things, and so we need a perspective that is different than ours, that is greater than ours, higher than ours, better than ours. And you have the perfect perspective on all things because you are the creator of all. And so we come to you today, and we ask that you would give us wisdom as we look at your word. We ask that you would come, that you would be with us, that you would guide our time, that you would use it to speak to us, to encourage us. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand as we read this. This is 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 35. Verse 25, it says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is, And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided." So Paul starts out in verse 25 by addressing this topic. He says, concerning the betrothed, and evidently what was what had happened is the Corinthians had, had contacted Paul. They had asked him to address whether or not those who were currently engaged to be married should continue on and get married, consummate their marriages. And that's why he says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. What he's saying is, Jesus Himself never addressed this exact topic of people who are already engaged. Should they get married? Um, he says that was not. I have no command from Him because He didn't address it uh, exactly. But I consider myself as somebody who has received His mercy, somebody who is is a recipient of His work in my life. As one trustworthy, I, I, I have confidence that what I have to say to you is something that is in line with the spirit of His teaching. And then, in verse 26, Paul goes on to give his opinion. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Now, we don't know exactly what the present distress of their day was. Uh, Different people have different opinions. Some would say that there was a famine in the land, and so it was really hard to to find food and and to eat. Others say there was some sort of persecution. Um, But at any rate... Regardless of what exactly was going on, it was a difficult time. It was already difficult for everyone, and Paul is saying, regardless of your situation, the best advice I can give you is remain as you are. Remain as you are. And so, he expounds upon this in verse 27. He says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So if you're engaged, stay engaged. It's okay. Keep moving forward with your, with your plans, with your relationship. If you're single, stay single. Whatever your current reality is, remain in it. And it's kind of an interesting passage because we see in other passages, just like the one we read two weeks ago in Genesis, the couple of passages in Genesis, you look at Ephesians 5, and you see that marriage is held in, in high regard in the Scriptures. I mean, it was God's idea. And so it's kind of interesting when you come across a passage like this, it's kind of like, Paul, make up your mind. Which is it? Do you like marriage or do you not? Is marriage a good thing or is it a bad thing? I think his point here, and we're going to walk through this more later. This should come back up again and again. But his point is that marriage is not the end all. It's not the most important thing. And actually, you know, sometimes it presents some different challenges and it makes life more, more difficult. But at any rate, his point to the Corinthians is don't seek to change your circumstance. And I think what he, what he's get, what he knows is that we are so prone and so uh, just bent towards thinking that if we're unhappy, if something changes in our life, we will magically become happy. And what he's, I think what he's speaking towards is you gotta, You got to realize that just because something circumstantially changes is not going to make your life necessarily better. Life is hard right now as it is, and if you change things, it might actually get harder. And so he's giving just advice, and we'll see why, why he gives that more and more as we, as we go through this text. But I think in these first couple of verses, the point that Paul is really making is that we're called to rest in the reality that we're in. We're called to rest in the reality that we're in. Whatever our circumstance is in life, the challenge and the the call from God is to be content right there, wherever we are. So whatever your current circumstances are, rest in them. If you're single, don't go looking for a man or a woman to make you happy. If you're engaged, don't anchor your life in your fiancé. And for those of us who are married, don't find your joy and your identity in your spouse. None of that stuff is going to f- come through for you. It's not going to be able to deliver what you ultimately need. And what we need to understand from this, I think what, it, what Paul is saying as, as we walk through this passage, really as, as kind of a, a, a side note is, God doesn't give us a spouse to meet our needs. That's not God's greatest goal in giving us a spouse. They're not here just to all of a sudden provide everything that we've ever wanted. He gives us a spouse as a companion in life, but also a teammate in glorifying him and serving him. And serving him is the end game. And so that's what this is about. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about other people. And so it's it's kind of flipping marriage from this, hey, God's giving me this person so that I'll be happy and that I'll be fine and I'll never have to worry about my, my needs. It's God himself will meet our needs and he gives us a spouse to walk with and to enjoy, but they are not there to be everything that we've ever needed. They can't carry that. So in spite of whatever circumstance you find yourself in, rest in in the reality that you're in. And then Paul goes on in verse 28 to really start to give reasons for why he gives this advice of staying in in the place that you are, remaining as you are. Look at verse 28 with me. He says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. So just to be very clear, he says, either route you take, if you don't remain as you are and you do end up getting married, that's not a sin. I'm just trying to spare you troubles. He says, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. That's why he's giving this advice. He really knows that marriage is not a fix for our hearts it just creates some other challenges that we're going to have to wrestle with it doesn't all of a sudden magically make life perfect it just takes care of maybe one one need of one desire but creates others creates other other challenges and so what i what i think paul really is getting at is that in marriage all you're doing we we all we all know this we all know that each one of us is a broken person, we're a sinful person, who has all kinds of, of, of challenges and issues and baggage in our hearts and in our lives. And in marriage, what do we do? You take one sinful person, you bring another sinful person, and they become one flesh. And this, the, the brokenness from each person kind of collides. And yes, God is good, and he is gracious, and he provides what we need uh, to, to walk through life and to... And to To work through that, but there is a reality that marriage is challenging, and there are things that become harder because of marriage and not not necessarily easier. I think one way to put it is that if Paul was giving us advice in today's language, he would say, listen, the grass is not necessarily greener on the other side of the singleness fence. It's not necessarily greener when you get to marriage. I remember a conversation I had back in my senior year of college. Uh, I was, this was in the spring, and I was about to graduate in about two months. And I was really kind of in, in a time when I was pretty frustrated with the fact that there was, there was nobody in my life, and it didn't seem like anybody was on the horizon. I was kind of in a, in a place where I was just going, man, this isn't really working out like I wanted to. I had gone to college like a lot of people, my script that was in my mind was like, you show up on campus your freshman year, by Christmas you're dating the girl that you're going to marry and then you graduate in May your senior year and you get married. You know, like that was the script that I had. And here I was two months away from graduation and we hadn't even met. And so I was pretty, pretty down and, and my friend had come into town and he was about six months into dating the girl who is now his wife and at the time, like, he was head over heels, like, I mean, you, th- you think of somebody who, like, they disappear and you don't see them, like, you know, they, they've kind of, the, the love bug is bitten and they are just gone. That's where he was. But in the midst of this conversation we were having, he gave me some advice that was really good. He said, don't. He said, man, I really think that you need to understand that if you find somebody, it's not necessarily going to make your problems go away. He said, what happens often when we move from singleness into a relationship or from singleness into marriage is you take one set of challenges and one set of problems and you just trade them in for a different set, as a different set of struggles. And I think that he was was right. And I think that's kind of what Paul is getting at here is that it does not, create a stress-free life to find someone. You just have different stressors in your life. And so marriage doesn't solve problems. It just presents different problems. And so if you want to find contentment, if you're in here today and you want to be content regardless of your marital status, I think it's just really important. This is not rocket science, not some powerful statement that you've never heard, but just remember that marriage presents problems. Marriage presents problems. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. When you're tempted to think about what you don't have and how, and to to buy into the lie that if you just found somebody, things would be okay. Remember, there are many, 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 many people who are married and miserable. They're miserable. It doesn't automatically fix things. It doesn't make your heart at peace. It doesn't give you the things that you really, really want and need. Let's look at verses 29 through 31. Paul goes on he gives another reason why he is pro-singleness, why he prefers it to marriage. Look at verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So in these verses, Paul really explains why marriage isn't the end all. It's not the ultimate thing. He starts out by saying that the appointed time has grown very short. I don't think that he means just that it's short in time, that... You know, like he lived in an era when they believed Christ could come back at any any time and that, that is part of it. But I think what he's getting at is that because this is not the end, because we know that Christ is coming back one day, whenever that may be, this world is obviously not the end of all things. This is not the ultimate reality. He understood that Christ and his kingdom were more important than anything that we see on this earth, and that it changes everything. And that's why he goes through this list, saying that those who are, have wives should live as they they don't don't have one. Those who mourn as though they're not mourning. He says all of this stuff is so temporal. It is so a drop in the bucket. It's a blink in the eye, a blink of the eye, and it's going to be gone. And the reality that Christ and His kingdom have broken into this world, it changes everything about this period of life. This is not it. You don't have to worry about making the most of this season because this is just a moment before we spend eternity with God. And that's where our hope, that's where our true joy really lies. And that's why at the very end, you know, he adds in there, on the very end of verse 31, for so the present form of this world is passing away. Nothing in this life, including marriage, is going to last forever. And so why get caught up with the things of this earth and on this earth when we can't stay, take this stuff with us? And you think back to Jesus' conversation, I've, I've referred to this a, a, a while back, but you know, the Sadducees came to Jesus with that goofy example where they're trying to trap him, and they say, so this lady was married to this guy, and then he died, and then she married his brother, and then she married his brother, and they kept dying, and she kept marrying brothers. And she's like, who is, his, who is her husband in the resurrection? And Jesus responds with, well, you don't really understand the future. We aren't married whenever we, we are raised in, in the end. We don't spend forever married. And so that may be a newsflash to some of us, but marriage isn't the ultimate because it doesn't even transcend beyond the grave. The only marriage that transcends beyond the grave is Christ's marriage with his bride. And we will spend eternity as part of the collective bride of Christ, and that will be so, so satisfying, we won't even worry about the fact that we're not in marriage. We won't even worry about the fact that it's not continuing beyond the grave or beyond Christ's return. And so Paul's point is it's just marriage is part of this earthly existence that's going to be rolled up when the new heavens and the new earth come. And so set your hope beyond into what is eternal and not in what is temporal. And I think the, the point that Paul really is is making, the, the the response, the, the, the application for us is to just refuse to settle down in this world. Refuse to settle down here. And that applies to every single one of us, whether we're single or married. I mean, it's very easy to get caught up with the things that we see and the things that are right here before, in front of us. I mean, I, I constantly, constantly, daily am realizing how I g- spend so much time and energy thinking about things that really aren't going to matter at all. Some of them won't even matter a year from now, but many of them, even if they matter five or ten years from now, they're not going to matter when I'm dead and gone. And Paul's point is, spend your life focusing on, base your joy and base your hope in something that is going to last. Don't get fixated here. Don't get fixated here. Let's look at uh, verses 32 through 35, and, and then we'll we'll be be close to to finishing here. Verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order, and I think this, key, this phrase is key, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul says a lot of stuff there, but I think the main thing he, he really wants us to get is that marriage can easily be a distraction. He says here, basically, single people don't have to worry about pleasing their spouse. A single woman doesn't have to think about whether her husband likes the way she cooks or the way she dresses or if he's satisfied with the way that she she encourages him or, you know, if, if they're on the same page with her career goals and his career goals and having to collide all of that stuff. It just presents some challenges. And the same, on the flip side of that, a single man doesn't have to worry about Whether or not he is making his wife happy, whether or not her needs and wants are fitting into his and how all of that comes together, he just doesn't even have to worry about that stuff. It's very, very easy for a married person, according to what Paul says, to have divided interest, and this can easily be a distraction. And i got to be honest, I feel the truth of this reality from time to time. I love Lexi, I love Sydney. I wouldn't change being a husband and, or a dad for the world, but there is just no mistaking the truth that life does not get easier being a husband or a dad. I can remember back to just a few years ago when I woke up on a Saturday morning, I didn't have to get out of bed if I didn't want to for two more hours. I could go eat whatever I wanted to eat. I could do whatever I wanted to do. I could come home whenever I want to come home. That's not the same anymore. It's not the same anymore. I've got to think, and it's very right, and it's very good and appropriate for me to think about Lexi and making sure that I'm considering her needs and her wants and think about Sydney and make sure that I'm considering her needs and her wants. But all of that stuff can be very distracting from a heart and a life that is fully devoted to God, and that's what Paul is getting at. So the point is, if you find yourself in a place where you are single, you are in a place in life where you have some inherent freedom and flexibility that others who are married don't have, and that is a gift that God has given you, just like a spouse is a gift that he has given someone who is married to be stewarded in such a way that God is glorified. So if you're single, he wants you to use the time and the flexibility that you have to love and serve him. And if we're married, he wants to use our marriage, our spouse, he wants us to live in such a way with them to love and serve him. That's what's the ultimate thing here, is what we do with everything we are and everything that we have, whatever whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, it's how we use that to bring greater glory to God. And so, that's, that's what he's getting at. He doesn't want people to mistakenly think that it's just as easy to have the, f- the same freedom to, to walk with God and to ser- serve Him inside of marriage that it is outside of marriage. And so, I think the point for us is that if we want to find contentment, regardless of our marital status, it's not about all these external things, trying to find something to bring into our life to make things better. It's about realizing that our contentment is going to be found in God, and so he's calling us to be devoted to him, undividedly devoted to him. That's why Paul says he's worried about the distractions. But I have a friend named Michael, and uh, we met the other day for coffee. And this was about two weeks ago, and I was preparing to preach on this. And, and he's, he's in his 40s, and he's never been married. And I was asking him a little bit about, um, you know, we, we were just chatting about this, and I asked him, you know, what do you think about, like I said, I know for you there's been seasons in your life where being single has been a big challenge. But I also know that you've also been able to really... Uh, find a lot of joy in spite of that and, and to really just be able to, to 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 move on with your life and really make a great impact for, for God in multiple ways and and he was the you know, real quick to say that he's just come to the realization that there's so much that he's able to do because he is single, because he does have the flexibility and the time and, and the you know just the the space and, and all kinds of stuff in the way that he, he, he knows that his life is, is set up in a way where he has a lot of opportunity to be used by God to bless others, and so I was thinking of some of the ways that, that he's, he's done that, and, and it's very evident to me that one of the ways he uses the freedom that God has given him is to just spend a lot of personal time with God. He spends Sunday, he pretty much sets aside the whole day just to, to, to do some chores and things like that around the house, but he's got, he's like, man, I just, I just listen to a lot of podcasts. i spend some time in the Word on my own. I spend time journaling. I I take the the afternoon, and I just kind of turn everything off and just get alone with God, and then throughout the week, he spends multiple times, uh, multiple evenings serving the Lord in different capacities. He's really involved in another church in the area, and he's Leading small groups and serving in different ministries, and some of some some of them very much from the ways that God has, involved you know, been gracious to him and rescued him out of certain addictions and challenges, and now he's walking with other people who are going through similar things, and he spends some of his week multi- uh, w- uh, discipling different guys one on one, probably three or four guys at a time, and you know I just look at his life and I think. There's somebody who is who's really using this freedom that God has given him to not just go play more golf or get involved with a bunch of hobbies or to just work harder and, and earn more money. He is using the time and freedom in his life to be fully devoted to God and give himself away. And I want somebody who's personally benefited from it. We became friends because he was personally involved in in pouring into me and in my life. And so I'm just thankful that I have someone who really has gotten this and they've seen it as a gift, not a not not just a burden. And so if you find yourself here today and you are in a season, or you're in a time or you know, circumstance in life where you're single, ask the question, God, what do you want me to do with the freedom and the flexibility you've given me? in this stage? How can I use this time to be devoted to you, to serve you, to be a blessing to you? And a lot of that may be being a blessing to the church, being being a blessing to other people. But if we want to be satisfied in in spite of our marital status, it comes down to being resolved to, to be fully devoted to God. And I want to just close with, with a couple of words that, that I, I really they've just been on my heart as I've been thinking about this is I think when it comes down to it we're all prone to think that if we're going to be happy, if we're going to be content, if we're going to be satisfied in life we got to go and make that happen and so we spin our wheels we try so hard to, to set our lives up in a way to where we're going to be content, we're going to be happy. We, we, we try and try and try, and we run ourselves ragged trying to make this happen for ourselves. And I think what I want to make sure that we know before we leave today is that's never going to work. But God has made a way for us to be content, and he wants to give us the gift of having joy, of being satisfied, regardless of where we are in life. But in order for us to find that, we need to be rescued from ourselves. We don't need to try to do it ourselves. We need to be rescued. And that's where I believe Christ and what he's done on the cross makes a difference on a daily basis. So yes, Jesus came. Yes, he lived a perfect life, and he died, and he was raised so that we could have eternal life. But one of the other things that Jesus says in the Gospels, is that he came for us to have life to the full, to have life abundantly. And so, it's not bad that we want to be content or we want to be satisfied. It's that we seek our contentment and our satisfaction in things that cannot deliver, and only Jesus can deliver. We are so hungry for love that is real, that is unconditional, never-ending, that will not fail, and that is only found in Jesus. And he's secured that for us through the cross. He's made it possible for us to be in relationship with him, the Father, and the Spirit. And that is where contentment and satisfaction are, are found. And so for all of us today, the call is to stop trying to secure our own contentment, our own satisfaction, and to look to him to give it to us. Because he's waiting to give us that gift If you want to have true joy, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is what you do with Jesus. Do you look to him to be that for you, or do you you disregard that and try to find it on your own? So if you want to be content, regardless of your marital status, rest in the reality that you're in. Remember that marriage presents problems. Refuse to settle down in this world and resolve to be fully devoted to God. And God will come he will meet you in the middle of that as you invite him in and you su- surrender this whole search to him but i want to i want to close with these words and and i just really my prayer is that these these this reality would just wash over us as we as we leave this week but i think a lot of times in life we wear our marital status like a like a name tag are like an identity. We think of ourselves as single, or we think of ourselves as married, and that's one of the key ways we understand who we are. But the reality is that if you have trusted in Christ and you are a child of God, you aren't a single woman, you aren't a married woman, you're a daughter of God. If you've trusted in Jesus, you're not a single man, and I'm not a married man, You are a child of God. And when we embrace that identity and we let that be the thing that is at the core of who we are, and we seek our contentment and satisfaction in the fact that we are an heir with Christ and everything that he has is ours, that we have God because of him, we can be content. But that change in understanding of who we are is something that the Spirit has to do in us. It's something that God has to give us. And so my prayer as we leave this week is that we would put on that identity, we would embrace it, and we would begin to think of ourselves as a child of God who will spend forever with him, worshiping him, regardless of where we are in this whole marriage continuum. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your words. I thank you for the truth.